0: I can't remember last time I, I had poutine, You know, it's for me, it, it's real good. But after three bites, I'm uh, I feel a bit uh, heavy, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can I can eat more of that.
1: Welcome to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. I'm Matthew Piaro, editor of the magazine, and your host. You just heard from Guillaume Boisvin. Later, you'll find out why the Montreal rider on Israel's Startup Nation was talking about Poutine. I can tell you that it is connected with the Grand Prix Cycliste de Montréal. The race was scheduled to run for the 11th time on September 13th, but on July 23rd, it and the Grand Prix Cycliste de Québec were cancelled. It seems inevitable now that those races wouldn't run in 2020. But back in May, when I spoke with Boivin and others connected with the events, there was a shred of hope that they would go on. Those discussions led to stories that showed just how wide-ranging the influence of the Grand Prix's have been, in ways both big and small. I've collected those stories here in this episode. They include negotiations with a former head of the UCI, race breakaways, and a trip to a Montreal Canadiens game. And yes. They even include poutine. Before we look at the influence of the races, let's look at their origins. Serge Arsenault founded the races more than 10 years ago. He's a former journalist who covered the 1974 Road World Championships that Eddie Merckx won in Montreal, as well as the 1976 Olympics. From 1988 to 1992, Arsenal ran the Grand Prix des Amériques in Montreal, which was part of the UCI World Cup at the time. In the 2000s, Arsenal became concerned with the state of sport in Montreal. In 2001, a U.S. businessman, George N. Gillette Jr., acquired 80% of the Montreal Canadiens, giving rise to fears that the hockey team might move. The Montreal Expos baseball team did leave in 2004. La Coupe du Monde Cycliste Féminine de Montréal was coming to a close by the end of that decade. But Arsenal felt a real sense of urgency after Montreal was left out of the 2009 F1 season.
2: When Bernie Ecclestone decided to leave Montreal as a city of the Formula 1, I was a little bit angry about that, losing many things. We lost the Montreal Expo, uh, the hockey Canadian were owned by an American, and so and so. And I phoned the two mayors, Tremblay and Labonte, from two great cities for cycling. Uh, this was we we're fortunate for that, Quebec and Montreal. And I said, guys, why don't we organize something that we own, that we could keep for years and years to come, and we'll be the one who will decide, and not the other people. And they said, "Okay, Serge. And I said, cycling is the best thing that we could do, but we have to go at the top of cycling.
1: Arsenal wanted the world's best riders, which meant he'd need a pro tour event, as road cycling's top series of races was known at the time. He wanted two of them, one for Quebec City and one for Montreal. But Byzantine UCI rules, regulations and traditions wouldn't allow for such upstart events in Canada. Arsenault had to negotiate hard with former UCI president Hein Verbruggen.
2: We were at the Dauphine Liberé in a car, and uh, Hein told me, Serge, I need uh, to get out of the car for a couple of minutes. I said, it's good, because myself too. Then it was a quick two-minute negotiation, quite funny. Uh, hein turned to me and said, Serge, you really think that you could have two world tour? Not only I think, I must have them. They said, okay, it's Il deal, search, we'll put it on a special rule that we do this for the development of international cycling.
1: Arsenaux got the races. Starting in 2010, road cycling's biggest names began coming to Canada. Those names include Chris Froome, Thomas Vauclair, Philippe Gilbert, and Alberto Contador. Peter Sagan won his 100th race in Quebec City in 2017, after winning there in 2016 and in Montreal in 2013. Greg Van Avermat has two wins in Montreal, including one soon after becoming the Olympic champion. The events have also generated the economic benefits that Arsenal was after, largely in tourism to Quebec's two largest cities.
3: Yeah, having four Canadians out of five in the breakaway was, uh, was pretty fun. <laughs>
1: That's Nicholas Zukowski, He's describing the makeup of the breakaway at last year's Grand Prix Cycliste de Montréal. Zukowski, who was born in Montreal, made the break. So did Guy Sagiv of Israel Cycling Academy. There were also three other Canucks as well. Charles-Étienne Chrétien, Matteo Delsin, and Ryan Anderson.
3: Charles and I, we raced uh, together for a while, so it was pretty fun being there together. And uh, we've already had like a pretty good chemistry for, for racing together. And then uh, Matteo, I knew him also because he was a, a previous rider from Silver, a fellow Canadian. And then Ryan Anderson, you know, kind of a well-known veteran from uh, Canadian cycling. And uh, yeah, we worked uh, really well together.
1: Delson and Anderson were at the race as part of Rally UHC Cycling Squad. Zukowski and Chrétien were part of a national team. Every year, the Grand Prix Cycliste de Quebec and Montreal feature a Canadian outfit. It's usually packed with young, up-and-coming riders who get their first tastes of top-level road competition. Sometimes, they can do pretty well for themselves. In 2016, Ben Perry from St. Catharines, Ontario won the KOM classification in Montreal. It required a physical performance like he had never done before. Perry had help from Ottawa's Dalsin, who was on the national team that year. Both Perry and Dalsin were on continental-level teams during the 2016 season. They both went on to higher level outfits. In 2019, the national team was after the KOM jersey once again up the climbs of Chameleon Oudway and Cote de la Polytechnique.
3: You still have to fight for for the KOM points. Um, and the first time up, I was uh, I asked Charles, you know, if he wanted to go for it, and I was more than happy to let him ha- let him have it because uh, I mean it's you know it's pretty good exposure for for a young rider to be able to to come away with a, you know, a prize like that in a pretty big race. But he was, he told me to go for it because he thought, you know, I would make it deeper into the race and have more chances at it. We kind of talked about it a little bit, uh, not too long, because we were still going up the hill and it was, uh, you know, a good pace. <laughs> Eventually, we, we came to the agreement that I would try and chase the, the KOM points throughout the race. In these races, you know, the the way the points are allocated, it's kind of, it's pretty hard actually to, to try and hold it, uh, until the end and get enough points, uh, from being in the early breakaway to actually, uh, you know, earn the, earn the KOM prize because the, I think the last lap is where the, you know, the most points are awarded. And then we all, we all know that the last lap is, uh, most likely going to be a, you know, one of the world tour guys that is trying to attack to get the wind, uh, you know, win the actual race. And, uh, one of the stronger guys in the race, you know, going over the finish line, just trying to attack to get over the the climb and not even thinking really about the KOM jersey. But in the end, they've, you know, they, they went over the climb, like the two last laps, and then they ended up getting all the points. So uh, that's kind of usually what happens. So we know that in order to get the prize, we have to, you know, make it until I think like three laps to go it was, which is, uh, which is pretty hard when, you know, the race in Montreal, they try to maybe sometimes split the race a little earlier. Teams will get organized sooner and, you know, try and bring bring the early breakaway faster to, to, you know, open the race up a little more. So it's not like a typical sprint finish or, you know, a little small group sprint finish. So that was kind of our worry and trying to stay away as long as we could to get over the climb at least, you know, three laps to go.
1: Throughout the course of the race, Zukowski and Chrétien stuck together.
3: He was a really, really big help. You know, if we didn't have two riders in there, I don't think it would have been possible. I still have kind of the shivers, you know, talking about it since it was such a cool experience having him up there with me and uh, being able to drop, you know, our fellow uh, breakaway riders towards the end of the race and being the two, you know, the two still riders left and the two teammates and little Canadian t- national team riders <laughs> trying to hold off the, the charging peloton to just to grab a little more points, you know, just to try and make it over the, over the KOM. So it was. It was such a cool experience, and I mean, yeah, if it wasn't for Charles, like, I'm not sure if we would have pulled it off like we did.
1: Eventually, only Zukowski was left, and he was caught. He finished more than eight and a half minutes down from race winner Greg Van Avermaet, but Zukowski had enough points to win the KOM jersey.
3: I mean, just to step on the podium at the end of that race with all the family watching and the, you know, the the commentator was actually a good friend of mine, uh, Louis Bertrand, and uh, it's just, yeah, it's pretty, it's it's so special <laughs> just talking about it too. You know, it's like uh, in kind of hometown, home soil in Montreal. And uh, with all the, you know, being behind the stage with uh, Greg Van Avermaet and all these guys, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a pretty crazy feeling.
4: I was thinking about this a, a little while ago.
1: This past spring, Montrealer James Piccoli was thinking about the significance of the Grand Prix races.
4: I genuinely think, and this sounds crazy, but I genuinely think if, if Grand Prix list was never organized, like if, if the race never came to Canada, if, you know, there was never a world tour race here, I might not be a professional cyclist right now because not only did it give me a platform to, to perform against, you know, world tour teams. It also just gave me something to aim for something to strive for. It made it, it gave me almost hope, you know, like, you know, if, if I do really well in, in Canadian cycling, North America, maybe I'll get selected for this race and, and maybe I'll have the chance to do it and maybe I can impress some team. And You know, it, it gave me, it really did give me hope. And, you know, without that, who knows if I, where I would be. Um, it would have made my, my journey a lot harder, but it, honestly, it might have even made it impossible.
1: In 2018, Piccoli was included on the national team. At the race in Montreal, Piccoli's parents and friends set up at the first corner on Chameleon Oud with coolers and balloons. Most wore blue t-shirts with James Piccoli fan club printed on them. They ate and handed out biscotti that James himself had made. The fan club was back in 2019 when Piccoli was back on the national team. Today, he rides for the world tour team, Israel Startup Nation. Piccoli and Zukowski's Grand Prix experiences are directly connected with competition. But the effects of the events in Quebec extend beyond the races. I learned of some of these effects through poutine. Sort of. Ever since the races began, I've always gotten a kick out of the idea of world tour riders coming to Quebec and sampling poutine. What better way to experience the local culture than through Quebec's culinary gift to the world. The pros burn lots of calories... So why not get them through the delicious union of fries, gravy, and cheese curds? So, had any pros from outside of Quebec sampled poutine in La Belle-Provence? I asked Piccoli if he knew of any.
4: Uh, oof. No, no. But I do have a really good story, actually, about World Tour riders in Montreal. It's not poutine, but my mom and my dad and I all went to go see the race. and. We had watched the tour that year, and that was the year that Johnny Hoogerland crashed into a barbed wire fence.
1: On stage 9 of the 2011 Tour de France, a French media car clipped Team Sky's Juan Antonio Fletcher. His crash sent Johnny Hoogerland, a Vacant Soleil DCM, flying through the air and into that fence. Hoogerland, though, did end up finishing the full race, despite the accident.
4: It was one of the storylines of the, of the tour that year. And my mom had watched along with my dad and I, and she had recognized Johnny Hoogerland. And we were, we were sort of walking around the, the start area and she saw him riding by. And so she said, Hey, Johnny, Johnny. And he turned around and however it happened, they started chatting. My mom said, Hey, like we watched you in the tour. Congrats. Amazing. Uh, how do you like Montreal? All this stuff. And she ended up saying to him, if, you know, if you and the guys want to go for a drink after in Montreal, we'd be more than happy to, like, show you around. You know, my son's a cycling fan. My husband's a cyclist. You know, we can, we can show you a good time. And he said, yes. He said, sure. And so, obviously, I, I don't even know where I was, but I didn't witness this. So, she came back and she told me this story. She's like, oh, I saw Johnny Hoogland and we're going to go with drinks for them tonight. And I felt like saying, bullshit, mom, there's no way that you found Johnny Hoogerland and that we're actually going to go out with their team tonight. Impossible. She's like, it's true. And I have his phone number. So five or six hours later, the race is done. She texts Johnny Hoogerland, and he answers. And he says, of course, we're still down. Like we want to go out and we want to have a good time. But so he says, we're, we're down to go out, but we're like eight guys. How are you going to pick us all up? She's like, "Don't worry, we have two cars. We're gonna come. Don't worry about it." So we actually drive down in two different cars, in my my both my parents' cars, and we go to pick up Vacon Soleil team. And we actually went out to a bar, and we had drinks that night with with the entire Vacon Soleil team, me and my parents, and we were just chatting about cycling, and we were we were out on the town, walking around, having drinks. I remember. My mom's favorite drink is a, a Caesar, a bloody Caesar. And none of the Euros had ever heard of that before or ever tried it. And so she ordered around for everyone. And I remember them all hating it. They all thought it was disgusting. They immediately switched I don't even remember what they were drinking, but they immediately switched to something else. And um and I remember talking to them about racing and and saying, you know, I'm I'm a fan, you know, maybe I want to try and be a pro. And um, they were giving me all sorts of advice and chatting me up. And, and I remember my first ever pro race uh, was a small race in Italy. And Johnny Hoogland was was there. He was, I can't remember what team he was racing on at the time. But I, I went up to him and I said, hey, Johnny, I don't know if you remember me, but um in Grand Prix Montréal, um uh, we went for drinks together with my parents and he's like, Oh my god, James, how you you're a pro now? <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, actually, it like kind of worked out. Um at the time I don't know if I was really a pro, but um but it was a it was a funny story and they didn't have poutine, but they had you know, Montreal, Quebec, North American drinks.
1: So the team got to sample a Canadian cocktail in Montreal. I find it quite strange that Hoogerland and company didn't enjoy a drink that's mostly tomato juice with clam broth and vodka. Very strange. After speaking with Piccoli, I kept on about poutine. I asked Guillaume Bovin, Piccoli's teammate and another Montrealer, about the dish.
0: I can't remember last time I had poutine. You know, it's for me, it's real good, but after three bites, I'm... Uh, I feel a bit uh, heavy, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can. I can eat more of that.
1: But had he been with any pros who'd sampled poutine?
0: Not proper. I mean, when Sagan won in Montreal, uh, Dorel brought us to preseason Montreal Canadian game in in their box. So I'm pretty sure there was like poutine in the in the spread there, but we didn't bring them uh, for proper poutine at at one of Montreal's top spots.
1: This possible poutine exposure was in 2013. As Boivin mentioned, his Cannondale pro cycling teammate, Peter Sagan, won in Montreal. Boivin also mentioned Durrell. That's the company that owns Cannondale Bikes. Its head office is in Montreal. And what's a better way to celebrate a win at a bike race than by going to a hockey game a day later? It turned out it was Sagan, not Boivin, who had the inside connection with the home team
0: yeah the party was was going on pretty good cuz we had just won the race so uh, but it was really Oh, i remember that it was um chara was playing for for boston and he's a compatriot of sagan so it was pretty funny cuz everybody boos him when he touches the puck in in the uh, bell center here in montreal so it was a pretty pretty cool experience and uh, we were there in uh, what was his name peter budai was the uh, second goalie for for montreal and he's also from slovakia and he knows P- peter knows him and he texted him and we went in the locker room after the race after the after the game and visited like uh, a bit the underground of the montreal canadians uh, arena and it was funny cuz there I was in my city my sport my team and and peter comes from <laughs> across the world and he's the one getting us in the the Canadian's locker room. So yeah, it was a a good night. It was a fun night.
1: When you lose something, when something disappears, that's often when you really see how important it is. As I spoke with the riders and organizers connected with the Quebec races before they were cancelled, I also remembered my own important personal link to the events. More than 10 years ago, I knew the Grand Prix Cycliste de Quebec and de Montréal were going to make their debuts. I was your typical cycling fan, watching grand tour stages on the sly at work on dodgy video streams. I was an editor at a non-cycling magazine, but in 2010, I secured some freelance writing on the side around my passion. I had to use some vacation days so I could go to the races in Quebec. I learned a lot at those races about how to cover live cycling, like where to be after the finish to scrum riders for quotes, a fearless media car driver got me right up to the breakaway on the twisty streets of Quebec City. In Montreal, I saw a young Peter Sagan come in second in a performance that alluded to what was ahead for the Slovakian rider. In 2011, I once again made sure that I kept some vacation days reserved for the Grand Prix. James Piccoli says he might not have become a pro rider without the Quebec races. If it weren't for those events, I probably would not be the editor of Canadian Cycling Magazine or hosting this podcast. Currently, the Grand Prix Cyclistes de Québec and de Montréal are scheduled to return September 10th and 12th in 2021. I hope they do, because they mean a lot. And that's the episode. It's written and edited by me, Matthew Piaro. I had help from web editors Terry McCall and Lily Hanson gillis The podcast is produced by Adam Killick. He composed the music too, thanks to Ontario Creates for its support. And thank you for listening. Please rate and review the show, ride safely, and I'll talk to you later.